I'd like to thank KTMS 990 and Montecito Bank and Trust for making Scam Squad possible. I'm Patty Teal. And I'm Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. Scam Squad is up next. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. One, two, three, four. Scam Squad. Welcome to Scam Squad. I'm Patty Teal here with Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. As usual, she shares such great advice. And we have one of our favorite guests back with us. We haven't talked to her in a while. Vicki, would you make the introduction? Absolutely. Thank you, Patty. And we are so happy today to have our special guest, criminologist Judy Christman Yates, author of those wonderful financial exploitation newsletters, which are filled with warnings about the latest scams, but also advice on how to stay safe and protect ourselves from scammers. So her January issue really caught my eye because the first article was about how to keep our personal information safe in the new year. And one of her suggestions, coincidentally, was cleaning out our wallets. Now, Patty, since we just talked about that on Scam Squad, I thought it would make sense to share some of her other suggestions on the list. And the first one on her list is to shred or burn all personal information. So first of all, welcome, Judy, and thank you for coming back to Scam Squad. We're always so happy to have you. And tell us, what kinds of documents do you recommend that we shred to get our new year started safely? Well, thank you, Vicki and Patty, for inviting me back to Scam Squad. I love it. And I did listen to last week's, and I heard about cleaning out wallets and the synthetic identity theft, which you will see what information is picked up for those synthetic identity thefts. Today, let's see what kinds of documents or items. Well, the security experts say that you should shred everything that pertains to your personal information. So for example, your name, address, phone number, even your email. And some people say, oh, that's just too much. I'm not going to take my name off of my magazine or whatever. Well, you need to stay under the radar. The more you keep your personal information away from everyone, scammers especially, then the better off you are. So definitely when any of that information is linked to other personal identification, and that would be like your social security number, Medicare number, well, your bank accounts, tax information, utility bills, veterans benefits, work and retirement information, certainly all of your statements from financial institutions, your investments. Strangely enough, your receipts, if you pay with a credit card, the last four digits of your credit card is on that receipt. Now, does that mean a lot by itself? Not so much. But like you said, with synthetic identity theft, that's where the scammers are collecting a little bit from each person and they're putting together all that information and doing identity theft. Well, it's so interesting that you mention magazine labels because the woman who gave the seminar always talked about that and she would give this example. Let's suppose that you throw out your, uh, your old magazines and maybe you've got a bank statement in there too or something about where you bank. She said the next thing that could happen if a fraudster got a hold of both of those documents you might get a phone call. Hello, is this Vicki Johnson who lives at 123 State Street? Why, yes, it is. Well, this is your bank calling. We're calling from bank, whatever the bank is, Bank X. 
And we're calling to get some information about your account because we fear there might be some fraudulent activity on your account. Now, does your account number end in and give the last four digits, which are sometimes on our statements? And there you go. You're off and running. So like you say, with just those two little pieces of information, a scammer can easily get your phone number and then know how to contact you and use just those two little pieces of information to get more about you. But what if you don't have a shredder? I have a shredder, but it's broken. So what do I do? Well, first of all, there are two common shredders. One's a strip shredder. So that just makes long strips. The other is a cross cut. So that strips are cut like this. If you have a strip shredder, then you need to be very careful because people with a lot of time can actually take those strips and put them together. So either of those mix up the contents of that shredding bag. And then when I get prepared to shred, I take the name and address off of my magazines. I put it in a gift bag, in a Trader Joe's bag, in a bowl. I just have some place that I just put it away so I don't put it in the trash. And I just tear that little bit off. And then what I do is when I'm in the mood, I will shred or I pay. One. I pay <laughs> I'm in the mood to shred. <laughs> I pay one of my young nieces to shred for me when they come uh-huh. to visit. And they make a little bit of money. So make sure you find somebody that you trust. But if you don't have a shredder, all you have to do is tear things into little pieces because you're not shredding the whole document, just a little bit of information. You can put a little bit in your recycle bag and a little in your trash bag. Just keep it separate so that it's not all there. Make it difficult. And shredding events. I know a lot of banks and places do have events. Those were probably safe, aren't they, to pile your stuff up and go? Exactly. There are local shred days. And their events, just like you're describing. So here for me locally, our city puts this on and the police actually coordinate it all. You're allowed one or two file boxes. There are things that you don't want to put in there, like laminated. Sometimes they don't want photos. Whatever it happens to be, get the requirements. Then you put it in the trunk of your car or the back seat and you make an appointment and you drive up and there's a shredder truck that is there. And one of the explorers will come get your information, dump it in the shredder truck, and it's destroyed right there on the spot. Also, there are paid services like FedEx, UPS, Staples, Office Depot. That's usually by the pound and sometimes by the box. Also, you can just go online, do your business online. And stop having all of that mailed to you so that you just narrow down how much mail that you have and how much you need to shred. Other ways that you can do it, you can burn, but you need to know what your local fire regulations are or burn it in the fireplace or the barbecue. Two other things that are much more complex than I'm willing to do, but you can add it to your compost. And if you do compost, you know not all paper can be put in there. And also you can soak it in water until it dissolves. And that just seems like a lifelong process to me. But don't put it in the dumpster. I want to underscore one of the points you made, which is when you say we'll shred all your personal documents, people think, oh, my goodness, massive task. I mean, you've got this bundle. But as you said, you really only need to pull off the top section, which is usually where your personal information is located, and just pull that apart. Tear that into strips. Do it as you go about your day. Just keep that bag. And sometimes I get a big bag and that's when I, you know, get a hold of my little nieces. 
don't make this this huge project. Just yeah, it doesn't have to be massive. So the next item on your list is to update our passwords. Do we need to periodically update our passwords? And if so, why is that? Well, yes, you absolutely do. A lot of security specialists want you to update them every 90 days. Now, that isn't very realistic for me. So I say, at a minimum, change them every year. This is January. It's a good time to do that. The longer you have a password, the more likely someone is going to have access to it. The whole idea is to reduce the chance of having that information so that you can't be compromised. Make sure that you use one password, one unique password per account. Change them periodically. And certainly if you've been hacked, you want to do that. The reason you want one per account is there are a lot of data breaches that are happening If they get one, you know, your life is going to be a nightmare. And yes, it's a pain in the neck to change passwords, but it's very, very important. Part of the article that you gave us talked about creating a strong password. So what advice do you have for doing that, for creating a strong password? First, let's start with things to avoid. So don't be predictable. Don't use your personal information, the name of your pet, your girlfriend, your anniversary, your wife, you know, whatever it happens to be, be creative. Avoid any sequences. For example, one, two, three, four, five, six happens to be the most common password that people Uh use. And the second most common password is password. No capitals, just password or password one. Don't be so obvious. It's just important to not be obvious. Also, on your keyboard, don't just go in order and, you know, put five or six letters across. That doesn't work either. That's not unique. Avoid words in the dictionary. Never reuse a password. And don't keep a list of the passwords on your phone. And experts say don't keep it in your browser autofill. That could be a problem. If you are going to write them down, keep them locked in a safe place. And believe me, the bottom of your keyboard is <laughs> perfect. Well, Vicki, you know, your colleague has talked to us about password apps where they create the password for you and it keeps track of it. That sounds like a good solution because remembering unique passwords for all of these different accounts and having to look them up, it's sounding overwhelming. Yeah. Even when you use a password manager, and if you mm-hmm. do, then what I want you to do is Google and do a comparison and find the best one. And just because they haven't been breached doesn't mean they can't. It's hard to know what to do. But even if you have a password manager, you create your master password. And that needs to be changed regularly. Oh, but at least changing one wouldn't be so bad as changing all of them. Mm -hmm. So I've been told, and I do this, that one of the best ways to create a good password is to have a sentence. For example, I have three cats, exclamation point, then use the number three. A longer password is better, I have been told. And if you have a sentence that's meaningful to you, but it wouldn't necessarily be meaningful to anybody else, that can be an easy way to create a good password and one that you'll remember because it's your unique sentence. Vicki, do you think we could then go, I have four cats and I have five cats and I have six cats as we change them? Or is that kind of defeat the purpose? Probably. <laughs> I have to move to your dogs. <laughs> okay. Say not to use a word in the dictionary and cat is in the dictionary. Yeah. But 
Longer is best. It's better. Yeah. Longer is the best thing that you can do. Changing them regularly and longer. That is really important. Do something that's hard to guess. And like Vicki said, you mix the capital, you know, upper and lower case. You can actually add in a space and a password. Most people don't know that. Use characters and mix it in with numbers and use uncommon combinations. Some of the examples of ways for you to make unique passwords, that's if you're not going to do the password manager or a random generator, random password generator. Pick a page in a book and choose maybe every fifth word and then drop the first letter. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Very creative. And in between all of that, you can add, you know, numbers or uh, different characters you can change the vowels around. And instead of an A, make everything that's an A really is an E. That's another way to do it. One that I think is really interesting is take one of your favorite songs, take the lyrics for that. So I'm using You Are My Sunshine. So that is a line in that song. And what I did was I created U, capital U, small R, and I happened to add a two. So I put U R two question mark, And then I put MI number one sun. And the way sun is, is dollar sign, a zero, a small n, and an exclamation point. So that's um, great. It's something that would be meaningful to me that I might remember. Yeah, yeah, that's great. um, But, you know, make it meaningful. Another thing that you talk about is using two-factor authentication. I know that every once in a while on my cell phone, there is a suggestion that I might want to do that. First of all, I don't even know what it is. So could you start out by telling us what it is and then how we would use it? Yes, it really is simple. It's just a second way to identify that you are who you say you are. So not only is it called two-factor authentication, it is also called two-step verification. 2FA, you know, different ways. But all all they're doing is asking for another verification. And honestly, I wish they would up it to maybe three or whatever, because the abuse is, is just significant out there. What they might do is you sign in with your username and your password, and then it comes to your phone, a text. It might come as a call. It might come as an email, whatever you decide. You set up how you want to be contacted. And they will send you a six-digit, maybe uh, more or less. And then you just plug that in. And that is called two-factor verification. So would that be something if you were communicating, for example, with your bank or a credit card company? Or how how does that arise where you're going to use that? It has to already exist for whomever it is that you are dealing with. Okay. So they ask you, they say, would you like to have two-factor verification? Amazon does it. It could be a fingerprint. It could be a PIN number. It could be digits that they send on your phone. But whatever business you're dealing with has already established that and they offer it to you. And I highly recommend it. Well, you know, I'm I'm thinking you brought up Amazon and with all the Amazon scams that are happening right now, this would be the perfect time to get two-factor authentication because you don't know if you're dealing with Amazon unless you set that up ahead of time. But like you've had on Scam Squad is so many of the Amazon, 
they're calling people. They're not even breaking into your account. They're just calling you and telling you that, you know, you've overpaid and they want to give you money back. Yeah. No, that's a scam. Sometimes they ask you if you want to skip the two-factor authorization because you're using a device that they recognize. They can tell that it's your phone or that it's your laptop. So oftentimes on my laptop, I do skip it just as a time saver because I figure they'd have to steal my laptop for it to be a problem. But I I guess I get impatient. (laughs) Let me me ask you, Patty, do Mm -hmm. you have a password on your computer? I do. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. But yeah. just stay below the radar. Mm-hmm. If you want to be inconvenienced, just have identity theft. Identity that would be right. very, very, very inconvenient. <laughs> right off. So another thing that was on this list, which I found so interesting, is what to do with your car's computer. How to set your car's computer. Now, I don't even know if I have a computer on my car. But tell us about that, would you please? The new cars are coming out with all these wonderful features. So if you can plug in an address and it takes you there, well, then you have global GPS, global positioning system. And what that is, is communication that goes from the satellite, knows where your car is, you plug in the address, and it tells you how to get there. One of the things when you get a car, the dealer usually goes, oh, well, put in your home address. And it actually says home. So you type that in. All right, I'm proud. It's my car. I want my home address there. And by the way, when I am on my way someplace, I want to know exactly how far I am away from that location. So I put in home. Well, I'll tell you what, the thieves love that because they steal your car Or if you are fortunate enough to do valet, you may valet park your car, you're in a restaurant, they know where you are, they get in the car, and I think valets are much more accountable, so I don't think it's likely, but this is an interesting example. They get in the car and they press home, and it tells them exactly where your home is located, and it gives them driving instructions to get there. So off they go to your home. And I'm pretty sure you have a garage door opener in that car. So they get there. And so not only can they steal your car, a thief can steal your car, not the valet, but a thief. And um, But they can now get into your home and steal whatever it is that you have. So it's recommended, if you have a sense of humor, make home your local police department. (laughs) Otherwise, use something close, but not too close. Because so, for example, if I use my neighbor's address, then all the thief has to do is drive down your street and keep pushing the garage door opener. And once they see that garage open, they will know what garage that car belongs in. You know, I actually have heard of thieves doing that. So this is a real thing. It's very, very real. So that is excellent advice. I better explore my new car and find out if I have one of those. So... (laughs) I think all new cars probably do have some sort of a computer system if it's in the newer range of the last five years or so. Mm -hmm. Speaking of new cars, if you have a new car that is on your phone and opens for you, you can actually add a PIN number for it. I happen to have one of those cars and it only has four digits. I don't like that. So change that regularly because if anyone gets a hold of your phone and if you don't have a password on it, then they can open your car and drive away. So put that PIN number on there. 
Well, I do have a password on my phone, so at least I've gotten that far. But I really want to thank you uh, very much, Judy, for coming on the show today and giving us the other safety things that we should do to keep our personal information safe. So thank you so much for very valuable and very interesting information. Well, thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year, Judy. I think that's it for today, Patty. (laughs) I never want you to leave without giving your fraud hotline in case someone wants to get a hold of you. Absolutely. So the fraud hotline is area code 805-568-2442. And again, that's 805-568-2442. Thank you so much. Have a great week, Vicki. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Patty. Bye-bye.